I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about strident socialism in America. Filmmaker Curtis Bowers joins me in studio. The Trump train rolling on sanctuary cities and Kentucky and Mississippi, the tide is turning. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I want to talk about socialism, which I know we've talked about a lot recently. I want to focus on one thing that's happening in American popular or political culture, and that is the stridency of people who are followers of Bernie Sanders or more broadly followers of the de democratic socialism, how stridently they now advocate for what they believe to be the only right answer, which is socialism. First, I want to start with a short clip. This is Bernie Sanders, who's being interviewed in September of 2019, and he's talking about the, the question which got cut off in the beginning was essentially, are you the leader of the, so, the socialist revolution? I want you to hear what he had to say, and then this is, so this is clip one for the wonderful Derek who's sitting in for Matt. So this is clip one for Derek, uh, and this is Bernie Sanders in an interview last year. Well, not only can I lead it, I think I am the person to lead it. I think, uh, first of all, uh, there remain strong differences of opinion, opinions among the candidates. And while I'm very proud that we have been able to influence thinking among the American public, such that virtually every one of the policy issues that I talked about four years ago, which were seen to be radical and extreme at that time, are now held by a majority of the American people. Now we're yeah. continuing to break brand new ground okay. Okay. Right, today. Okay. I mean, it's not like I'm running on just the ideas that we had four years ago. Sure. I'm delighted sure. that other people have caught up to me. But we've got to go further. Uh, right now, what our Medicare for All proposal says, for example, is not only will we guarantee health care to all people as a human right, but nobody in America will be spending more than $200 a year on prescription drugs because we will take on the greed and corruption and price fixing of the pharmaceutical industry. That was Bernie Sanders, and I want to focus on two things he had to say. One was he was talking about the idea that medical care, health care, is a human right. And so I think this is one aspect of why Bernie Sanders is managing to instill in young people not just a belief in socialism, but a stridency about, I have a right to get what I want. Bernie Sanders told me, I have a right to free health care. And he also said, and I want to really focus on this point too, we talked about the issues today. He pointed out that when he ran for president in 2016, which now seems so long ago, but when he ran in 2016, he floated ideas, as you just heard him say in that clip, at the time, many people thought they were extreme. He says, and now they're mainstream America. Most people in America agree with them. Well, that is not true. Most Americans do not agree with Bernie Sanders. It still is true that a slight majority of Americans have said they would never vote for a socialist, even though a big chunk of Democrat voters would vote for a socialist. Uh, still, most Americans say they wouldn't. But he's getting at the point that I want us to think about as we continue to focus on the 2020 election cycle. When the left, when a radical leftist like Bernie Sanders plants seeds 
telling people you have a right to free education, to free health care, to adequate housing, implying the government will provide it for you if you can't provide it for yourself. You have a right to pretty much everything you need that costs money. He ends up instilling in the minds of uninformed young Americans, people not appreciating that nothing actually is free, that if people are told you're going to be getting free things from the government, it really means the government's going to take those things or pay for those things by taking money away from other people. The government has no money. So all Bernie Sanders is really promising his followers is elect me and I will forcefully, forcefully, forcibly confiscate wealth of other Americans, take it from them under threat of imprisonment, which is what happens if you don't pay your taxes, and I'll use that money to give you everything you want for free. This is what Bernie Sanders is promising, and young people have become really smitten with the idea, I have a right to all of this. Two other quick clips. Uh, another clip, this was a story, I actually, I didn't see the story when it occurred, it was actually in January, but someone put it up on Twitter in February. This happened. These are Bernie Sanders followers. This is a clip two for the wonderful Derek. This was, these are Bernie Sanders followers who are following a woman who happens to be a candidate, um, a Senate, she's a candidate named Betsy Dirksen Londrigan. Uh, and she was, she's a, actually a Democrat, but she's running for office. And these Bernie Sanders followers were agitated with her because she would not agree to hold a debate with a socialist, with the socialist candidate. So these people, as you'll see in this clip, they are chanting about her having, forcing her to have the debate, and they actually surround her and prevent her from leaving her car. Very confrontational, very aggressive. Here they are. This is clip two from Derek. She's going out. Let's go. Where's Betsy? What do we want? Kids Bay! When do we want it? Yeah. Oh, brother. What do we want? Kids Bay! When do we want it? Yeah. What do we want? Kids Bay! When do we want it? Yeah. Block her in, block her in. What do we want? When do we want it? Yeah. What do we want? Kids Bay! When do we want it? Yeah. What do we want? Get by the window. When do we want it? Yeah. What do get by her window? Kids Bay! When do we want it? What do we want? When do we want it? I understand there have always been strident activists, there have always been people who think they can be confrontational. But the reason we have Antifa, the reason we have strident Bernie Sanders supporters getting in the face of a woman, a, a woman, these, these are adult men, and you can see it's nighttime, it's dark, surrounding a woman's car. She's a Democrat, but not good enough for them. They're angry with her, what they're yelling at her, beside they want to force her to agree to a debate with some socialist is they're yelling, will you agree Medicare for all now? What they mean is free healthcare right now, they feel justified. They feel justified as a matter of political participation to get in this woman's face because she happens to be a Democrat who may not agree with every left-wing idea Bernie Sanders has. Last very, very short clip. This is, we played the longer clip a few weeks ago, but again, Bernie Sanders supporter, a guy who is working on the campaign, what he thinks should happen to people who won't support Bernie Sanders. Here we have clip three. So if Trump gets reelected, what? Cities burn. What we gotta do? Yeah, I mean we don't have a lot of time left. We have to save like human civilization, and obviously Trump 
don't give two about making sure that the world doesn't. Guys like that. What are we gonna do with them? Gulag. <laughs> Liberals get the fucking wall first. What are we gonna do with those people that resist the change? Because that's a big deal. Well, I'll tell you what. In Cuba, what do they do to reactionaries? They shot them on the beach. Again, people. This is a Bernie Sanders. It is. It was actually one of his people who had a employed by the campaign, working for the campaign, pushing you know advocacy for Bernie Sanders and saying basically people who won't agree with Bernie Sanders. He says, well, what did they do to them in Cuba? We shot him on the beach. He talked about we played the longer clip a few weeks ago. He talked about sending people who won't agree with the revolution back to uh, concentration camps, back to reeducation camps. And I'm telling you what we need to be talking about. This election cycle is not some abstract co you know, comparison like we're in economics class between what is socialism, who owns means of production, you know, what is freedom, what does capitalism mean? We need to recognize that we are looking at a revolutionary mindset that is winning. Bernie Sanders is winning the primaries. He's right now predicted to win all but one of the Super Tuesday primaries. So we may have this conversation. I personally, I invite the conversation. I think it's great. Let's have Bernie, the socialist, and America and Trump. That's what I want to see. But I will tell you, it's a very, very serious thing because in the past, for most of our our country's history, we could recognize that there were extremists in the Democrat side. There were Marxists. There were leftists. But there was a, you know, a, at least to the facade of the public, to the face of the public, a very moderate, you know, we're, we're kind of centrist, moderate people. We're just Democrats. We just like a little higher taxes to help the poor. We just like a little bit more support of unions. But we're not, that is not the Democrat Party of today. There is no Democrat Party of today able to say that. And I'll close with this first slide with this. Nancy Pelosi got cornered and asked, what are you gonna do if Bernie Sanders actually wins a nomination? Are you going to stop him? And she said, her quote, I'll be fine if Bernie Sanders wins the nomination. Now, personally, I don't think that's true. I know she's getting a lot of pressure from the big dollar donors on the left, on the left saying, you better do something about this, get somebody else in. But for right now, she doesn't even have the backbone, the moral clarity, the political clarity to say to America, the Democrat Party is not socialist, we're not revolutionary, and he can't have our nomination. She does not have the courage to say that. And that, my friends, is today's first five. I'm going to turn to you. I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a guest in studio, always my preference, in studio. We have filmmaker Curtis Bowers. And I think years ago, I was trying to remember this, I think you were on my show years ago, we were on radio at Salem. But in any case, he is a filmmaker. He's a former uh, state legislator. He's a filmmaker. He's got two films. One is Agenda One, and the second we're going to talk about today is Agenda Two. Both the Agenda One talked about the idea that the history of Marxism as we see a rise in Marxist ideology in America, really is not a product of new modern thinking in America, but actually has deep and long-term threads. But he's back with Agenda 2. So we're gonna talk about today a little bit more about connecting Marxist ideology with the ideas being pushed by today's left. So Curtis, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, I appreciate it. So glad you're here. And I wanna jump right in. Actually, first I wanna to go to Agenda 1. And that was, um, I forgot the year it came out, but it was during Obama, right? 2010. 2010. And at that time, people were, we did this in our home, buying the video and inviting friends to come over and watch. That was kind of fun because you could 
watch and get a little alarmed and you could talk about it. And But it was really the basic idea of the Marxist roots that we are now seeing more prevalent in the Democrat Party having a long-term history in America. So you can just, can you give a quick summary yes. of that? Yes, Agenda, Grinding America Down was the first film. And we're still having thousands of people have showings weekly in their homes still because there's so many people that don't understand what's going on. It just gives you the history of how we've gotten to this point. Yep. And like most things, it didn't, when you first notice the symptoms, that's not when the problem started. It's been a hundred years in the making where they've been marching through the institutions of influence so they could change us as a people from within. They being communists, would you call it communists? Or? Yes, the Mar it's the Marxist philosophy from the Frankfurt School and the Fabian Socialist Society, and they're all socialists. They push for socialism because just like Vladimir Lenin, the founder of the Soviet Union said, he said, socialism is the road to communism. Yes, he did. <laughs> and, it's, and it's even even the dictionary, secondary definition in the dictionary, since you were talking about that, it says a transitional social state between the overthrow of capitalism and the realization of communism. That is what it is because it cannot last because it does not work. Like Margaret Thatcher told us, you eventually run out of spending other people's money because when you penalize those that are productive for being productive, slowly they become less and less productive. So you do run out, and that's when socialism turns into communism, because then the, the, those in power don't want to lose their power, so the guns come out. And they realize, we're going to make you work now, since everyone's getting so lazy, we don't even have any money to share anymore. And so it collapses on itself. And it's what always happens. It's what's been happening in Venezuela right, right. now. It's the end of the road of socialism. It's either going to go into full-blown communism, or hopefully the people will be able to take back their country. And if they do, you will see they will have the most free market in the world, because they will realize we've already been there and done that. And the socialist-sounding ideas that are very appealing to young people because they're naive and how the world works um, they won't be suckers for that again well you know I, I love actually my last question was going to be how hopeful are you or how do we get out of this and it is true I guess we, if we get to the point that Bernie Sanders were to win which I, I you know heaven forbid but if we get to where the point he wins I like the thought that maybe after people watch the economic decline, the economic ruin, the refusal of people to work hard to produce, which you're exactly right. What happens is government, the people who love this power, the socialists who love being in power and love somehow having convinced people, don't worry, you won't have to do very much. You'll get free health care, free housing, free education. Everything's free. And these people right now buying into this Bernie Sanders our argument they just don't know any better they, they think somehow the reason that they don't have enough to pay off their student loans or they don't have enough is because the rich people won't share their money I and mean, it's yes. the most and it's, it's really a, a, a condemnation of the american education system that exactly. we ever got here to this exactly point. they've been taught k through 12 and then in college that the economic pie is fixed so if someone is rich, that means someone else has to be poor. But we, of course, know anyone that understands economics and free markets is no wealth is created. Every time someone is creative or works hard at something, more money is created. So there's no limit to the amount of money that can be created. So everyone could figuratively be, be rich if they all work and were diligent and faithful to do that. And they're taught the opposite. So that's, but they teach that so they can use the poor. Okay, they, they don't want to help the poor. They want them to stay poor so they'll vote Democrat. Right. They want to use the poor so they tell the poor, do you know why you're poor? 
Because that, that guy's guy rich. Because yep. that guy's rich. And so they're like, oh. And they don't know. They Again, the schools have been so pathetic. They haven't taught them the truth. And so, okay, I guess that's okay. But here's the thing so evil about Bernie Sanders. He's, A lot of things, but go ahead. Many things. <laughs> but for him to, to be able to persuade some of the millennials that this sounds like a good idea, that doesn't bother me about them. They're, they're young, and you just think everything's possible, whatever. But it's evil of him because he's old enough to know it's a dead-end road. He knows socialism does not work. He is a Marxist revolutionary. If you study his life, yes. all he has been is an agitator, uh, milking the system, using other people to try to stir things up, to get the socialism, which will eventually bring the communism. It always does. Um, and, and so he is so evil because he's lying to those young people to get them to jump on his little bandwagon. And, you know, I was interesting uh, of the clip I played earlier. Um, there were, I couldn't play the whole long thing, but there was a, a point in this interview where, where, I'm sorry, it was a different clip. But anyway, he was asked shortly after the State of the Union, well, you know, President Trump said there will never be a social, America will never be socialist. How do you want to answer that? And his answer was, instead of saying, yes, socialism is a great thing, we're going to do it. He's, he's very cautious. He said, we are going to have a country where every single person has all the health care they need and it won't cost them anything and they're going to have housing and they're going to have education and they're going to, and he went, went through his whole litany of promises and it is, so that's what he's planting in the minds of people who are saying, you know, support me, I'll give you all these things. And Trump over here and all these people who don't like socialism, they, they just won't give you what you need. It is truly insidious. Yes, yeah, just pity. It's a, it's a classic old you, you divide and conquer. You separate everybody out into as many little groups as possible, and then you tell them you're the only one on their side, so you can use them. Again, it's all uh, Lenin himself, who was a, just a master strategist, said, he goes, all Marxism is is using people to get what you want. And anyone that doesn't understand that does not understand a grain of Marxism. It's never about the people. It's never about the minorities or the little disenfranchised groups. It's about how can you use them to get the power you want so you can be in control. That's all it is. So they always promise anything to anyone to get them to vote for them. Whether Absolutely. they'll deliver or not, they don't care about the delivery. They care about getting the vote to get the power. Um, and so it's it's a the Democratic Party has been captured a decade or two ago in the 90s by the radical Marxist. And if you study the key people, like my first film goes in all the key people that were literally part of the communist apparatus that were in cabinet positions of Obama's. Yes. Yep. I mean, two of his czars, if people will remember, when they were asked, who do you admire most as a world leader? They said Mao Zedong, a man that oh. slaughtered 70 million of his own people. And they said, that's who we admire most. That's how radical these people are. That wasn't radical to them. Because in their thinking, if you have to eliminate 70 million people that are troublemakers and won't go along with this great system, that's okay. There's no problem with that. Right, so right. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm so glad we're talking about all of this, and I have I've used the expression on the show that all you know the difference between socialism and communism is just communism is just socialism with no way out. You, you've eliminated all escape. You you have eliminated any of you you are you now have control and you can't get away. But communism is using socialism as their economic system. There's just no way out because they have eliminated all uh, political opponents. I do want to turn though and talk about Agenda Two, your uh, new newer movie, and. One thing, I mean, that your second movie, I understand, 
traces issues and kind of gets to issues back down to helping people see them as they are just being pushed by the left through the lens or for the purpose of developing and pushing Marxism. Is that accurate? That's right, just showing how the issues are, uh, one of the famous leftists of the 60s said, the issue is never the issue, yeah. the issue is always the revolution. And so I go through a lot of the key issues like the environmental movement and other movements that are going on today to show you behind the scenes the key people and groups and what they're even saying that it has nothing to do with that issue. It's about getting power and control. Okay, I'm gonna have Derek, the very wonderful. We have a short clip from your second movie, Agenda 2. This is a, a clip from the trailer, which is itself is a clip, short little clip to introduce Agenda 2 to our listeners, if you could please, Derek. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. If America goes down economically, it will go down militarily. If America goes down militarily, we all go down. The free world is finished, and it will be finished for a very, very long time. We're in the most critical period we've been since the Revolutionary War. That concept of collectivism, big government, is a magnet for the predator class. When people are afraid, they ask government to do more, not less. We have been the main stumbling block to world communism since it first raised its ugly head. From the promotion of Islam to the propaganda of climate change. From the deceit of Common Core to the manufactured economic crisis. And from their manipulation of the evangelical church to the unsustainable debt burden. This film will show the issues are simply being used as a smokescreen to hide the purposeful, premeditated, treasonous attacks on the foundations of our freedom. That, my friends, is a chilling little short clip uh, of Agenda 2, just from the trailer itself. I love the idea of getting into issues and trying to explain how the left's position is really coming from a place of Marxism. And instead of, I mean, we can, if you'd like to have a quick summary of your, your film, that's fine. But I want to talk about, because climate change, I think, is one issue that the left is particularly successful in convincing people that we are just out to help and save the world we're trying to protect you and anyone who won't agree with us doesn't care about the climate it doesn't care about the future and when you try to say but if this is all about control this is all about taking your money away this is all about globalism they, they i think sadly many young people look at you and say no no no. this is about saving the planet that's all it is it has nothing to do with marxism so tell us the connection marxism and climate Yes, so many key things. And what you need to tell young people, because we need to understand this issue because it's not going away. Yeah. You can't step down from saving the planet to some other issue. You'll lose your people because that's such a grand vision. Here's the facts. Today, currently, there's 400 parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere. That didn't mean anything to me, and it probably doesn't mean anything to you, except when you study what is the optimum level of CO2 in the atmosphere for everything that is green. You know what it is? It's 1,600 parts per million. We're at one-fourth of the optimum level of CO2 for everything that is green to thrive the best it can. And that's why greenhouse growers, they pump CO2 in their greenhouses and they double, triple, and quadruple the level so the plant growth explodes. 
And so they, the green movement has chosen to attack CO2, which is plant food. It's fertilizer for everything that is green. And we have to expose the very fundamental premise is a complete lie that defies science. And, and we're again, we're at the low part. I, I interviewed Dr. Patrick Moore, who is the co-founder of Greenpeace. Mm -hmm. He cares about the environment. About him too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he had to leave Greenpeace because he realized he had been captured by the Marxist and they were just trying to destroy world capitalism. And he said the things they're doing are actually hurting the environment and he still cares about the environment but but so that one premise alone so you go why are they after co2 when co2 we need more co2 in the atmosphere we need to triple and quadruple the level if we want the rainforest to explode an oak tree will grow to full size in half the time if you can do that to the co2 wow half okay. the time and plant growth efficiency every time you double co2 so if we could just go from 400 parts per million to 800 parts per million, plant growth efficiency increases 35%. So the same tomato plant will have 35% more tomatoes on it if you can double CO2. So you have more food, you have, it, it's a complete lie, mm -hmm. but that's what they're doing. But the reason they have attacked CO2 is because almost everything productive produces CO2, including human beings. And so they realize we've, we've got to stop the productivity. They need poverty because poverty is easy, easy to control. They've got to stop people being able to create wealth and so all this is is a movement to regulate and control people get them to move into cities and live in multifamily dwellings so they can have better control of them but they came up with this great idea we're going to use the environment and what's amazing is the very first paper on this was written by Karl Marx himself the year he died the last paper he he wrote was on the environmental movement how it needs to be used he said you need to scare people and we're going to head into an ice age and pollution from productivity is creating um, all the smoke and stuff so it's going to make the earth get cooler and we're all going to freeze to death but he is the one that got this going in the system and, and I they've just I never knew that yes, Karl Marx wrote Karl about Marx. using the environmental yes, argument and I talk about it in the Marxism. second in the second film it talks about the name of the paper and what, what what he did so no this is a marxist philosophy from the very beginning well the other aspect of it that just seems to always uh i, I think should be more telling to people if they want to be open-minded about climate change is how much the agenda that is pushed by the left related to climate change in some way or other demands higher taxes redistribution of wealth through the United Nations. They have all sorts of language talking about people who've, you know, who've been left homeless by climate change. And you hear those things and you think, my gosh, it's gotten that bad? People have become homeless over, it, there's no one who's become homeless over climate change. Yeah. But you hear those things yeah. and then, and, and the other thing, and then I do want you to come again, the other thing is frustrating is it's actually a brilliant choice of a topic because very few people are educated in climatology. Very few have taken, you know, any climatology courses in college and so you tend to defer to the alleged experts and if they say this must be true and then you don't question and then you salute to whatever the agenda is they have in mind that's right and, and they've made it sound so virtuous as they always do in every movement they have the reality is between 5 and 10 million people are dying every year because of environmental policies and those are primarily young black children in Africa and other impoverished areas because they're not allowing them to develop because oh no you'll create CO2 not allowing them to have electricity so they can have refrigeration so that every day they have to go get new food because they can't refrigerate if you see what it is doing to the poor of the world it's pushing them from starve from hunger to starvation and it is evil at its core 
I will confess I haven't seen Agenda 2. Is what you just covered in Agenda 2, that point? Yes, yes, some of that's in there. Dr. Timothy Ball, too, is a great environmental scientist. He has YouTube videos you can watch, Dr. Timothy Ball, on the science of it. And he is he's so fuming mad because he sees it's being used as an evil tool to hurt people and, and to hurt and control people. And here's the thing, we all want clean air, clean water, and we want to steward our resources. Everyone wants to do that, but that's not what this movement is doing. The green movement's not doing that. They're wasting all our energies on stopping productivity, which again, like I said before, we want more CO2. CO2 is good, we've been all brainwashed. It is, it's at a low, low level. And we want we need to at least double it in the atmosphere, and then it, the productivity of plants will be much better for everybody. The whole idea, I like that you make the point too about because I, I think that one reason that people, uh, young people or those who haven't focused much on this issue, don't want to question what the climatologists are saying, what the climate you know extremists are saying, um, they feel like. They can't imagine what motive would cause those people, the climate activists, to lie about where what's what is happening with climate change. There's no motive for them to lie, so why shouldn't they just be believed at face value and left alone? But you did, just a moment ago, articulate this idea. Yes, because it enables them to have more control, to urge people, as you say, move into concentrated areas in the city where you can be more controlled. And, and, the, and I'm sorry, back to Africa, you remind me of something. I was reading about the, um, the elimination of very effective pesticides. And it was an environmental claim that those pesticides would somehow had horrible, but the fact of not using them hurts crop development and therefore hurts people, hurts their ability to grow food. And it spreads malaria all over the, the, the poverty of Africa, malaria disease. We abolished, you know, 70, 80 years ago in America. We had it in America too. People don't understand that, but we use uh, uh, DDT and some of those chemicals to kill the, the mosquito population and get it under control. And those books, Silent Spring and many of those in yeah. the 60s, they were all written by Marxist radicals. We know that now as we study their life, they were members of the Communist Party USA. They were in all these radical groups. So they, it wasn't, they didn't care about the environment e either. They were using the environment to persuade the 60s radicals to jump on this bandwagon because they knew it would be very effective. And it has been very it effective been. To, to, to control the world. See, they, they always wanted a one world government, those the elitist that, that are a lust for power. And a one-world problem like this requires a one-world solution, they believe, which is, can only be done by a one-world government. It's, so it's a, it's a perfect vehicle. I've been reading all their books since 1854 from Karl Marx writings forward. So I know their mindset. I know what they think. And they've been setting things in place for 150 years to, to manipulate people to voluntarily do what they've always wanted to do to us anyway, which is totally control us. And, and, and this environmental movement is so powerful because people, if they believe it's real, will, will do anything. Will do anything. Anything. And yeah. so they, and it's sad they're using it because there's so many things we could be doing. Like managing our our forests in America, I'm from out right. west in Idaho and Montana and Wyoming. We have some of the most beautiful forests in the world, and they're all dying now because mm -hmm. we haven't been able to manage them in the last 30, 40 years. Because environmentalists said, "No, you can't go even pull the dead trees out." Right. And yeah. so we're losing our forests. So this environmental movement—that's young people need to understand—it's destroying the environment. 
It's not doing all the energy that's going into these meaningless causes like cutting CO2 could be going into helping clean up our oceans and helping manage our forest, and which is a, a re unlimited resource. Trees are the greatest resource. You can just keep planting them and planting them and you have all you need. And they're saying, no, we can't touch. Man cannot touch the creation. What right. anyone knows, and when you leave a lot in any town, in any neighborhood to itself, what happens to it? The thistles, the thorns, it Weeds, destroys putter, yeah. itself. It just yeah. destroys itself. Man is needed to take care of the creation. That's why the person's house next door that takes care of it, the beautiful flowers, the green grass, they water it, they prune the trees, and it's a Garden of Eden. And when you take man out, it, it just implodes on itself. And they're saying man is the enemy when no, we are the solution to the problem. And we need to spread out, out of the big cities into the, the rural areas and take some dominion over the ground. And like our yard, we have gardens, we have trees, we have fruit trees and we love doing that and it's a blessing to everyone yeah. as you are stewarding things like you should Curtis Powers you are something so agenda one agenda two if people want to get agenda two how do they do that go to agendadocumentary.com agendadocumentary.com and there's both trailers there and the movies available and the more you get the cheaper they are because we want you to be able to get copies and give them to friends. This is a very important year in American history, as you know. Oh. That's what this whole show is about. Yes, it's about it is. waking people up. We are on the cusp of going a completely different direction than we have. And if we go down that road, people have to understand we're going to get to where we're going. And it's nowhere new, like they're telling us. With history, we've been there over and over again. Just in the 20th century, we've been down the socialist road in the, the National uh, Socialist Party of Germany and in the so United uh, Soviet Socialist Republics of the Soviet Union and on and on. And it does not work. And it ends in slaughter of the very people they were promising all the freebies to. Those are the people get they get hurt. And that's why we as conservatives need to stand up and love our neighbor by going, we have to educate them on this. We have to teach them the truth because this is going to hurt them. And I cannot allow them to be lied to and used to set up a system that will destroy them. And, and so that's why each person one at a time with one person at a time needs to wake them up and needs to be involved with things like what you're doing here to educate others because we have the truth and the truth is very, very powerful. Curtis Bowers, this was so much fun talking to you. Thank yeah, you, you so much for coming in the studio today. I appreciate, appreciate that it. so much. You're welcome. Friends, I mean, what we're talking about just now, honest to goodness, there is so much um, at stake in this election cycle and then we have a you know, certain, I don't know what the percentage is of millennials who buy into every single bit of the climate change argument, every single bit of the Bernie Sanders argument. But, you know, we are, as I say so often on the show, we are, every generation has their duty as patriots to this country, patriots who love America, to be the ones speaking up, sharing the truths, not permitting the left to define the issues or and, and not permitting the left to put out their propaganda and letting it spread without people like you and like me and like everyone else involved in the conservative movement speaking up. It's one person by one person talking to people, encouraging them, reminding people to be politically active, reminding them what's at stake in this election cycle. Because if we end up with Bernie Sanders, you know, to go to Reagan's, um, Ronald Reagan's remarks at some point, he talked about, you know, if we, if we lose America, we're into a thousand years of darkness. And, and we're, we are at that precipice right now. Really encourage you to get uh, the movies we were just talking about, Agenda 1 and Agenda 2. 
Yeah, I want to hit two other topics today. Um, one um, was that uh, in sanction, the <laughs> Trump team rolling along, thank goodness, uh, Donald Trump. And this is, it's just the most amazing time we live right now because the left has never been more radical in this country, not just radical, but strident and actually making headway. And as Bernie Sanders claimed in the clip he played earlier, saying, you know, his radical leftist ideas four years ago, he says, you know, most Americans, that's not true, but a growing number of Americans embrace him. I say, well, gee, you know, we, yeah, we've been talking about this for a while. That's probably right. And they're buying into this radical, dangerous leftism. That is what is happening. And this, this, so this election cycle just couldn't be more important. And it's an amazing thing to have the most radical leftist who's ever gotten this far in a presidential primary, Bernie Sanders. And then we have the other side of the aisle. We have Donald Trump, who, whether any of you supported him in the primary or whatever your thoughts were when he was first elected, Many people have come to realize Donald Trump, he is much less of a, you know, Republican official party line guy. He is a pro-America guy. He's a guy saying, we're going to save this country. We're going to preserve liberty in America. We're going to preserve free markets. We're going to preserve borders. We're going to preserve America through strengthening our military. We're going to pull back sovereignty and have the sovereignty of our country live in, in America, live in Washington. We're not going to surrender to the globalists, to the UN crowd. We're going to have trade deals that actually benefit the American workers. So we have the most astonishing you know, dichotomy of Bernie Sanders, who is, you know, whatever else he calls himself. He says Democrat socialist. He's a communist. He loves Russia, still loves Russia, still praises Cuba. And then you have Donald Trump saying America. But anyway, Trump, one thing he did, he's pushed on the question of the willingness of cities in this in this state. In fact, some states, California, designating themselves sanctuary cities and just basically saying, you know what? We're not enforcing federal immigration law. We're going to harbor not just people who are in America illegally, but we're gonna harbor, protect illegal aliens who've committed crimes to the degree that even after they've been arrested for some other crime in one of these sanctuary cities, when ICE comes along, the immigration people come along from Washington and say, okay, you know, we know you have so-and-so in custody, or you know, please give us information. Do you have this person in custody? These cities will not cooperate. So Donald Trump never wanted to tolerate uh, that kind of lawlessness, had actually made a decision to have a um, funding blocked to sanctuary cities. This was funding block that was part of the, uh, was a, within the discretion of the administration. And the, um, the great thing was, this is, it was called the burn program, uh, which is basically, is one program at the federal level, which was where uh, the federal level provides money, government provides money to sanctuary cities. And Donald Trump's administration just said, actually no money from this program, the burn program, B-Y-R-N-E, um, if you are a sanctuary city, if you defy American law, if you defy ICE, you don't get your money from this burn program. And so a bunch of states, attorneys general sued Washington, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Washington, Massachusetts, and Virginia. The attorney general each of those states, they banded together and they sued the federal government and said basically Trump cannot withhold this federal money just because we don't comply with federal law. Great news for those who love America. The Second Circuit, which is a federal appellate court, um, anyway, a federal appeals court, ruled a three-judge panel of the Second Circuit ruled unanimously 
overturned the district court's judge's ruling and said, yes, of course, they can, the federal government can withhold this money from sanctuary cities. But the great thing again, I always tell you about the difference between, you know, conservative and liberal judges. Conservative judges, what that doesn't mean that you, as a conservative judge, side with the Republican Party. It means you side with the Constitution in federal or state law. You side with law. A liberal judge means you find a way to rule in, in cases before you that gets to the outcome the radical left wants. It is not rooted in law, not rooted in following the Constitution, not rooted in following statutory law. Leftism is all about anything's justified to get to the result we want. So in this case, you had conservative judges who did not vote in favor of the Trump administration rule because they like Trump, but because actually they follow what the law said. What the law said. The Trump administration was fully within its rights to say, not happening, we're not gonna keep sending money to these sanctuary cities. And the statute that they relied on gave them the right to do that. So these judges did not side with Trump, they side with law. But the great thing is, now these sanctuary cities are going to be losing money. I mean, I'm sure the case will probably go on to the Supreme Court, maybe other places, but they're gonna be losing money uh, because the federal government's saying, yeah, actually, we're not gonna keep paying you uh, this aid from the federal government if you don't follow federal law and federal immigration procedures when ICE asks you for the, for gives you a detainer notice, you've gotta actually cooperate with ICE. Great victory not just for Trump, but for the rule of law. Last quick topic for today before we get to why it matters to you. Um, both in Kentucky and Mississippi, two states where there's just a little tiny hint that the tide is turning. And what I mean by that is this. Many people in this country are watching Bernie Sanders, listening to what he's saying, realizing how radically left the Democrat Party has become, realizing Nancy Pelosi doesn't even have the, uh, I don't even know what quality to call it, doesn't have the backbone, doesn't have the political discernment, doesn't have the rooting and the belief in the idea of America to say, actually the Democrat Party doesn't really wanna have a socialist candidate for president. She said, I'm fine with it. So more Americans who maybe been Democrat voters for decades because their grandmother voted Democrat or because they always thought that the Democrat Party was better for the little guy or they thought that the Democrat Party was the one that would support labor unions or whatever reason they had, Americans are waking up to the reality that the Democrat Party has long left the American playing field. The Democrat Party is not standing up for anything like the idea of America. They are radical leftists. Their policies will destroy this country and more people are recognizing it. So you had just a little tiny victory. President Trump enjoyed a little victory lap. There was simply a Kentucky, this is the state of Kentucky and the Kentucky state legislature. Uh, there was a special election um, and in a district that has gone Democrat for 33 years, there's been Democrat representing this district and where the overwhelming majority of people, voters, in this district are Democrat, and the most recent election voted for Democrat governor, those people in that district chose a Republican. A Republican won in a significant Democrat majority district. And even though you might think, why is Donald Trump all the way back in Washington talking about an election that happened in Kentucky for a state legislature, 
Trump loved it. Trump tweeted about it. His uh, his tweet was actually kind of entertaining. I'll quickly read you what he had to say. Um, actually, this is Ronna McDaniel's um, uh, GOP chairwoman's tweet. Uh, big win in Kentucky House District 199. It's a de- it's a district Democrats have held for 33 years, where Democrats outnumber Republicans by double digits and won the Democrat governor carried in 2019. But tonight, Republicans flipped the seat, and Trump tweeted about it, basically just saying you'll never see this in the mainstream media you know but this is big this is huge to use his word this is a sign that american people are waking up to how radically un-american the democrat party has become radically un-american small sign but great news last quick one similar to that in the in the state of mississippi there was an announcement this week that eight different elected democrats eight of them announced they are changing to the Republican Party. They're moving their alliance to the Republican Party. And I'm telling you folks, of course, the Republican Party put out a great statement. We welcome you, you know, welcome to the, you know, the Republican Party, blah, blah. But really what I think people are realizing all over this country is if you're going to support the Democrat Party in this election cycle, in this 2020, anyone in the Democrat Party, you have to acknowledge you have to be agreeing with yourself you have to be saying to yourself i'm okay with the socialist takeover of america and even though bernie sanders has a large number of young followers and millennials and frankly sadly in in these early primaries at least he's winning the primaries against a slate of you know the clown car the rest of the people who are running for president the democrat side but people in america are looking at the democrat party and thinking these people don't love america these people are out to destroy america the socialism will destroy our country americans are waking up but they need your help we cannot just say oh yay you know things are trending okay and look how big trump's rallies are everything's probably okay we have to be each and every one of us in our everyday lives we are the patriots in the battle of ideas telling our friends telling our family telling our buddy at church whoever your conversations are if politics come up and people say well you know yeah i'm, I'm a democrat i don't like bernie too much but i'm a democrat we have to be making the point the democrats are no longer in the american ballpark no longer on the american playing field they are in the camp of venezuela cuba china pick your communist country they're no longer on the american playing field and i'm gonna tell you something else about people running for congress right now if you're a democrat running for congress in this country If you're a Democrat and you can see that your party may actually be nominating Bernie Sanders to be your presidential candidate, if you have an iota of loyalty to America, an iota of understanding about the greatness of our country, the goodness of this country, you need to be changing parties just like these people in mississippi you need there would be such a groundswell support for people running for congress in this country democrats who are you know traditional democrats or they're not radical socialists or not communists they're just you know the kind of long-term democrat you know i run i'm democrat because i support the little guy one of the things that democrats used to stand up for If you're a Democrat running for Congress and you stay in this race as a Democrat, you stay in 2020 when your party is about to nominate a socialist who loves communism, then you either are right with him and you love socialism too, or you have no integrity. 
Democrats need to be pressed and pushed about how dare you stand with the Democrat Party of today if what they're going to do to our country is nominate someone whose policies will destroy America. My friends, we're sadly out of time. We always get to the end of the show before I have more things to say, but we run out of time. So I'm going to turn very quickly at the end of every show. I try to tell you again about why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we have, I believe we have those, Derek the Wonderful. We have uh, strident socialism in America. And I think it's good to use this word strident or something similar, confrontational, angry. There's an ugly, angry stridency emerging from many of Bernie's supporters. A Democrat candidate gets surrounded and intimidated by Bernie supporters for not demanding more free stuff, like their preferred socialist candidate. Socialism has always been driven by envy and covetousness, fanned into anger. Rights to free stuff, like health care and education, cannot be provided without also demanding that the suppliers of these services work for free. That's what socialism is, is demanding other people work for free to give you what you want because there's no other way that you can get the things that you want. How else can the services be free? Requiring other people to work for free to provide your needs is slavery. Bernie's campaign violence will not sit well with the American people. The Trump train rolling in sanctuary cities, the Second Circuit upheld common sense and the rule of law. Of course, the federal government funding can be conditioned on compliance with law. President Trump will take aim at sanctuary cities and sanctuary states, which have been refusing to enforce U.S. immigration law without any legal authority whatsoever shut off all federal aid unless until compliance with federal immigration law. This is why judicial appointments are important. Having courts follow the law instead of the, the makeup stuff version, the leftist judges we have in this country. This is why the left will stop at nothing to destroy, follow the law, Supreme Court nominees. This is a reason by itself to support the re-election of President Trump <clears throat> Excuse me. This is a reason why Trump and a GOP-controlled Senate sanctuary cities should never have arisen in America. If the cities don't like federal law, the remedy is to vote them out, to elect legislators who will change the law. And finally, in Mississippi, Kentucky, and the tide turning, eight Mississippi Democrat elected officials switched to the GOP. They oppose leftists and socialism. Kentucky State House seat flipped just this week or last week after 33 years of Democrat control and the district for the even though the district had voted for a Democrat for governor within the last year. But the House seat in Kentucky went to a Republican for the first time in 33 years. The American heritage of freedom runs wide and deep across America. Americans instinctively feel when that heritage is being threatened and they rebel. Bernie's campaign is a threat to American freedom and Americans are stirring. A Trump landslide in 2020 would be a powerful reaffirmation of the American heart for freedom. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you